Hi, I'm Ariel. And I'm Twinning. And you're listening to Breaking Through the Podcast. Welcome back to Breaking Through the Podcast. I am so excited about our next guest. I'm excited about all our guests, but this one in particular, she's a very good friend of mine. I find her so inspirational, and I know you will too. As an artist, as a songwriter, she created a space for herself at an extremely male-dominated table. Not only has she done this for herself, she's also created space for countless women to join alongside her. Yeah, and she's done so many incredible things. She's supported major artists, had multiple songs break a million streams on Spotify, co-created a company which runs all-female international song camps, had a top 40 hit as a songwriter, and she's currently making waves of her own as an artist. Please welcome Violet Skies. So... You started your journey with music early on. Amazingly, your parents encouraged you to skip uni and go straight into it. That's, I feel, um, it that's so uncommon. And it's really a breakthrough moment in itself to have that kind of support early on. What was the first bit of momentum that you experienced as an artist? And what was life like before you shifted your focus to f- music full time? Ah, um, the first bit of momentum truly truly well I was age 15 and I went like a local but quite big talent show I think it was like a BBC introducing like local BBC radio Gloucestershire thing I thought it was great because I was like leaving Wales and going to Gloucestershire and I was like wow look at this like <laughs> fucking London <laughs> it's not big but I won the talent show and actually there was a guy who was also in the wanted who was in the same talent show it was like it was which one so long ago Who's the little one that wears the hat? Nathan. <laughs> oh, yeah, Nathan. Like, I- I'm saying it like, oh, yeah, Nathan. Like, I know him. I don't know him at all. <laughs> he was there and he was also still wearing a hat. And he did like a, it was just like a, it was like a moment where I won this talent show and I did this um, Alita Adams song, Get Here. And my parents, that's when they tell me that they kind of knew because I'd done like school stuff and school plays and like they'd seen me literally since the age of three like getting up on stage in local pubs and they couldn't stop me and I was like singing songs I think I was quite a loud child um but um yeah that was the first time I was like okay and I won some studio time and then after that it kind of just kept going I was in school bands and then I was doing other talent competitions and trying to sing for whoever would listen to me in pubs and bars and like literally going out gigging with a microphone like age 16 just in the middle of nowhere I remember once I was in a bar and they turned the TV off because there was a football on to have me on. And the pub like went nuts. They were so annoyed. And then I had to get them to sing for half an hour. <laughs> I played some I played some awful ones. But after that, it kind of just like kept trickling and trickling through. So by the time I was leaving to go to university, we'd I'd been in this band in school. And we'd come like runners up in this national Battle of the Bands competition. And it was really big. And it was at the O2, the final um, not like the main arena, but like the the smaller room. And I was like a huge number. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, like I can do this now, but it's still such a long journey from that point because it it's such a weird, you know, it's such a weird industry. You think you're breaking through so many times, but actually it's a series of tiny, tiny breakthroughs. 
and there's almost no one singular thing yeah it wasn't like it's I know some people do like go on a you know a talent show and every the whole world sees them and the next day they're a star but really it is uh for me if 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 I'm if I'm to be considered successful it is not an overnight success it's like a it wasn't until I like quit university really because I went against 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 my parents wishes <laughs> they literally just like don't go like just you know go, move to London and try that's so incredible I know they're just they are absolutely nuts do you know when I went home the only gig I'd, I've done this year in person was my parents who begged me to do a gig in the living room <laughs> they're such legends oh, they are absolutely oh my legends gosh. one year they gave they gave up their holiday like their time off to take like a week to come with me to Texas to play South by Southwest. I had no manager and I just had this band and I was just like trying to I, like organize everything by myself. And I'd got booked on through BBC introducing, I'd got booked on some showcases and I was like, I had the visa, I had everything. I had all like six or seven shows at South by Southwest. And I was like, this is wild. I can't, don't think I can do this alone. And my parents like, literally took their holiday time off to come and tour manage me they, I did find them oh. drunk in an Irish bar like I'm not sure if they were 100% working but like <laughs> <laughs> they were there for support that's so amazing but I mean it's not surprising because you're extraordinary you know like I, I'm obsessed with your voice anyway so like when I can imagine I'm gonna be you know a really pushy mother if my if my kid can sing I'm like you will go to singing lessons I don't want to do it mom yes another another round let's go oh my god 20 you would be the best stage mom I would actually direct a show around that that like watching you be a stage mom would be amazing <laughs> northern northern stage mom I'd love oh, to see my that because oh it'd be so real like I love <laughs> northern I love northerners I think that northerners in England are just so down to earth and just like straight shooters and so I would watch anything with a northerner anything yeah Twitty be like that was rubbish. Do it again. Yes. <laughs> that was fucking shit. Now do it again. I wouldn't swear. I wouldn't. I wouldn't swear. Oh. Like, oh, your legs are not as good as mine, are they? Yeah. I'd be <laughs> no, very supportive. Yes, you would. I would be very supportive. There'd be lots of hugs and kisses, and then a few do it agains. <laughs> I think it is. It is a balance. Like my parents were. I got singing lessons because I I did this thing in school when I was like ten, and the school put me. I had like a little star and role in some tiny school play and my parents like oh she can actually sing mm. and so they gave me singing lessons with a, a lady up the road Elizabeth Battersby I literally name her all the time um <laughs> she was like an ex uh, like professional opera singer who'd like toured in America so but she just like literally lived like 300 meters up the road so I used to go for lessons with her and she was like ultra ultra strict but also amazing um and they were like you can only keep seeing you know Elizabeth for lessons if you practice, Elizabeth is Vatabi. She's Romanian. She used to just be like the breathing exercises we used to do. I'm I'm not sure if they would people would still do them now. But she was honestly a genius and like really really helped me in so many ways because I did all my classical singing lessons. But my parents were like, you can only keep doing it if you practice. If we if you're not practicing at home, then you can't keep having lessons. And that's kind of that was kind of the the pushy thing. If there was to be a pushy thing, was like we're not paying for stuff if you don't try. And I think that's kind of how I've carried that through, honestly, in my um, in the way I approach things as well. Like, you can't just give this. You can't be half-assed or whatever this is, because yeah. it just is not going to happen. Totally. 
you know, BBC Horizons got behind you early on. And it's easy to get caught up in the newness of things and excitement and nerves, momentum. What was it like for you? And did you have celebratory moments or were you were you kind of overwhelmed? Um, there was a moment in like 2014 where like BBC Horizons, BBC Introducing, so Horizons is like the Welsh version of BBC Introducing, um, where um, I'd been played on Radio 1 or something and, and I, I got to Glastonbury within my, it was my first single that I put out in 2014. The next thing I know, I was on the, the BBC Introducing stage, which wow. is really not not like the, the the order of things that happened was a very backwards way of doing things um so I remember just getting the call <laughs> getting the call for being like you're gonna play Glastonbury because it was like Jamie Cullum had put me had selected me and BBC Wales they'd like both put me forward so I was very very lucky to have such early support for considering I only put one song out um and I got the call in a Costa outside the National Express bus station wow and I was about to get a £10 bus home to Wales from London. <laughs> Literally like the cheapest bus at like 10pm. And I, I remember that's, that's the first time I stopped to think, oh, this is a big achievement. So I'm, I've got, that took me a really long time because I used to achieve things and just be like, okay, that's nice, move on and not celebrate them. But there are moments like that that do stick in your head where I remember like crying on the phone and then calling my parents. And, and that was like, when you, when you, when you, try and appreciate those moments so I, I do feel like it makes the journey a bit easier yeah no definitely I mean me and Ariel always talk about like the hard moments that really motivated us and shaped us I know early on you weren't always working with the right team I mean can you shed a bit more light about that because I feel like that's a common theme with quite a lot of artists I mean you know so many obstacles to face early on did it lead you to any personal or professional breakthroughs yeah I mean a couple breakdowns and breakthroughs <laughs> but <laughs> definitely some moments I remember like after I quit university thinking like this is it off to be a star and I remember being at home for six months just like writing pretty average songs and working in a studio but just that was there was definitely some low points because you you feel like you found the right team but I've looked back on this quite a lot and thought really thought hard about this because it's very easy. It's a bit like, you know, when you break up with someone, you're like, they were an idiot. I am perfect. Um, <laughs> and it's just not the case. Um, so I'm definitely not. So I remember, I've looked back on some of those, like I've had some, some, you know, some lovely people in my, in my time who've like managed me and stuff. And I just didn't know who I was. I, you know, I sang a lot of covers and a lot of classical music really early on as in shows and bands and plays, and there wasn't a singular focus. So when it came to sitting down and being like, who am I as an artist, it was quite hard. So I think sometimes managers saw, you know, you know, a, a voice and a, and a songwriter, but didn't really know what to do. Mm. So finding the right team definitely helps you find yourself, but really you have to be doing the work early on to work out what you want to do. Like... It, whether it's from mood boards or putting stuff on your wall and, and trying to focus on what that is, but doing the work and knowing that nobody is going to hand you those answers really takes time. And for me, it took, took me a lot of time because, well, because I went to university, honestly, I was clinging on to the idea that I couldn't be a singer and I should probably be a lawyer and just stick it out. And I think it was a battle in my head for a really long time about whether I was good enough. Because if mm. you're quite good at school, I was all right at school. So 
I was just like, oh, I should, I should do this. So you have to find yourself. And until you do that, <laughs> your teams will, will not know what to do with you. They just won't. And yes, I've definitely had some bad experiences with people. Uh, not naming any names, but it was, there were some moments where I was like, oh, you're, and I look back on this now as like an adult. I was like, oh, 19 year old me was being royally screwed over mm. signing, you know, making, trying to make me sign stuff that would have literally taken away my rights for like 10 years mental yeah i think they shape you as well you know like the the bad people they make you realize what you don't want what you will accept what you won't accept i was never really good at school so i only ever had one option to be honest so my mind was pretty made up i was like i can only really do this that's it um it's such a it's such a difficult industry i think anywhere to be in like I feel like as artists, we love to create. We just want to put out music, and it's all the other stuff that you learn along the way of like the business stuff. It just—I don't know about you, but it certainly takes away the joy for me. Like looking at numbers and datas and followers, and I'm like, I just want to do music. That's it. That's all I want to do. I—I I, I didn't think I would need spreadsheets, but it turns out you do. <laughs> I love spreadsheets, though. I really—I just made one for the podcast, and it was so satisfying. I, it really was <laughs> I had to show it to you 20 you're gonna be proud um, oh my god I also think though I wish I wish sometimes I can go into a time machine and go back to the beginning because I got my start in London in music and I used to like record at 2 a.m well like 11 p.m to like 2 a.m in this studio in in Acton with like all these young people we were just like cram in there it was just so smelly and so small and I used to be like one day I'm gonna be in a better studio and now I'm like oh, that was so precious like those times were so precious right there yeah. was moments where I look back on it now where I was writing my first songs like first full songs there was a guy called Josh Moon shout out Josh he's a legend he was like a year or two younger than me in school and my music teacher had put us together. I had an amazing music department in my in my secondary school. And we used to write songs in our lunch break together. And he played piano just by ear. I, I didn't know any music theory, really. I'd failed most of my theory exams. And then <laughs> he he was just like doing everything by ear. And we just used to write these songs with absolutely zero, like when I say zero, it's zero idea of what I was doing. I didn't even do, I think I did GCSE music, didn't even do A-level music. I didn't think I was good enough. Uh, and which is such a weird thing to think about now. But um, we just, just write, we had a tiny practice room. And like on the weekends, we would use the school equipment. My, my teacher, Mr. Ellum, used to potentially illegally give me keys to the school. <laughs> I think definitely that's illegal. Yeah, that sounds not right. <laughs> he would let us in on a Saturday and we'd take the PA equipment and just go and like play gigs and he'd play piano for me. And we, you know, we wrote so many of those songs trying to just work out what we were doing. It's such a pure time. Like now I write songs every single day and it's not like a Tuesday lunchtime, you know, making magic. It was it now it's every day. Um, and, and so you do have to like look back and treasure those moments. That said, if I could go back in time, I'd like, definitely you know ghost of christmas past rock up and be like hey just so you know you you shouldn't sign that like you definitely shouldn't <laughs> sign that and whatever you think that is that is totally not worth your time and get a lawyer please get a lawyer <laughs> oh my god yeah definitely my dad read a lot of my contracts thank goodness i was really lucky he's not a lawyer but he deals a lot in legal stuff so 
I, I, there was some stuff. My dad once got me out of a management contract. He found like a loophole and it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Your parents are actual legends. Oh, no. Can I, can they adopt me? I could literally, well, I could win a Grammy and my parents would be like, what? What's that? Your mom would be so excited. No, I mean, they're proud. Yeah, Don't yeah, get yeah. me wrong. They are proud, but they just have, they're just clueless when it comes to <laughs> music and how everything works. It's just like, is it going all right? Right? Good song today. And I'm like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> is it going to be on the radio? Will we hear it? I'm like, no, I don't really quite work like that. Okay. All right. I'm just going to go back into my room. That's my, my granddad. When I finally wrote a song for someone else that went on the radio, who was like, oh, I've been able to tell people now they've heard it on the radio. Because oh. before that, it was just like existing on the internet and he's got not a clue. And they're just like, when are you going to put a CD out? Oh, <laughs> it's so funny for that generation, though, because my grandma is the same. She she thinks like if they hear it on the radio, regardless, they don't understand like Spotify and streams but like if it's if something's on telly like oh yeah she's told the whole town before it's even meant to be out she's already done it i'm like okay so funny my mom is always the the one that geeks out like she still has my first cd i ever made in her car and she listens to it regularly and i'm like mother i have done a lot more since then and this is my biggest embarrassment and i swear to god if you share it with anyone i'll never talk to you again (laughs) so your experience was kind of like a fast-paced moment because you had a song on the radio and you played Glastonbury. So during that time, like, did you even have a moment where you could like sit in your car and be like, I have a song on the radio or or just be able to like experience it in a, in a moment of rest where you're not fast-paced going, going, going? Not really because I had that one song. So it went, did really well on blogs and then it got played on radio a bunch. It was like spot plays on Radio 1 and Radio 2 and some other things. And then we had loads of emails off labels and publishers. And at the time, I didn't really know what they were. Definitely didn't know what a publisher was. Um, and then to play Glastonbury, I had to write songs, which is horrific because we had nothing else prepared. We didn't expect the first song to go like it did. And really, rule of thumb is make sure you have three or four songs finished before you post anything. Like, you know, sometimes that one song can get you the momentum you need. But, you know, I wasn't able to replicate that. So I was writing stuff for Glastonbury. And really, I was like, the first six songs I wrote, I was like, yeah, these will do. So I I actually didn't stop and think this is great. I remember like, you know, loving the first time I heard myself on radio. It was like a midnight play on BBC Radio 1. And it was so weird. But I'm not amazing at stopping and, and, and looking back at what I've done. It's only now when I do it, honestly, when I do interviews and stuff like this, where people ask me to explain how I got here. And I remember how I got here. And I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, I'm a pretty big deal. Yes. Yeah, so. I wish. You are a big deal. You're a big deal to me. <laughs> I get a lot of like comments on YouTube, especially YouTube for some reason, where people stumble across the songs. And they're like, oh, my God, this is so underrated. I cannot wait for the day when I am overrated. I can't wait. I can't wait till people are like, oh, stop. I think I'm so over there. I can't wait till it's like, you know, that level where people just kind of hate you a bit. I think my family are already at that point with me. <laughs> just, I'm like, guys, I haven't performed it. Do you like this song? Go downstairs and play it in the living room. They're like, yeah, cool. I'm like, clap then. I need validation. 
<laughs> but you're, you've been on TV so many times. Can you imagine when you're on Holly, Holly Oaks, you'd be like, do you watch? Did you see it? And they'd be like, you're on every fucking day. Yeah, I mean, they just didn't care, to be honest. Oh, my God. I never really used It's funny that you mentioned that because I never used to watch myself. I hate watching myself on TV. Or like, you know, if I've done a performance, I never, ever watch anything. Um, such a weird thing. So just going back, so the BBC introducing, that's what kind of like catapulted you into all of this. I mean, it's great that you got all that stuff from this and it was really organic. I guess that doesn't really happen these days, I don't think. Yeah, I think everything happens online now organically. That's kind of where it exists. Um, and, and I guess we did, we literally just emailed loads of blogs ourselves and that's what happened. Um, and it, it, it was... I didn't really know that much. I've been working in studios a lot, basically, like one a big residential studio in Wales. And then finally, when I moved to London, like a private studio and I'd heard stuff and like my, the manager that had found me when I went to London had explained some stuff to me and I kind of understood. But after I kind of had worked my way through like another, I think that was my yeah, like second manager, the third manager, you, you have to, I remember like trying to research what PRS was <sighs> and I felt like, until you're kind of in it, you exist out. I, I think the music industry is like three circles. Like there's the outside circle of people that just like are trying to get in to the inside circle. And then there's the inside circle where, you know, your signed artists and writers and producers live. And then there's another another circle in the middle. And there's like Beyonce just stood in the middle. And that's it. So it's <laughs> just like crown. those. Yeah, with the crown. There's only a couple of people in that middle space, the ones that, you know, you're above even hustling. You can you have to keep hustling, obviously, but you're even above that in the end. You just exist as an, as an artist or as a writer or whatever. So it took me so long to go from the outside circle to even just, you I mean, I've only been, I've literally only been signed a year, like a year and a little bit. Like I signed last August or July or something. So I, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a published writer, um, and the, that, that journey really does take time. Because prior to that, I knew almost nothing. I just remember Googling things. I like I, I had registered some songs on PRS when I was like 16 and didn't know what that was. I remember looking, you know, my manager's getting hold of them, being like, who did this? And I was like, oh, who's oh. me? <laughs> I mean, in 2016, you mentioned like you played South by uh, South by Southwest. Um, That's such a legendary festival in the States, like for the listeners. I mean, what was the lead up like to that festival? And how was the experience overall, apart from finding your mum and dad drunk in an Irish pub? Were you able (laughs) to step back and celebrate um, that whole experience? Or were you just like in a rush? I cried. I cried at the end of my last show at South by because it was four or five days and we did seven shows. Wow. We would drive for the next one. It was just so intense. And I remember just crying my eyes out at the end of the last one because I was so exhausted. Um, but that's interestingly like South by was such an amazing thing because I basically did this year with BBC Horizons where I played Eurosonic in the Netherlands. I then got spotted at Eurosonic to do some German shows. I got German agents and started playing German shows and Swiss- and Switzerland as well. And, and then I got South by Southwest. So I started playing international shows for the first time ever. And that was a really like 2016, 2017, when all of that was happening was, was pretty wild actually, because I really didn't expect that. I played a lot of those showcase things. 
um the one in brighton like great escape and stuff i did that with bbc introducing as well and i've been so lucky to be supported by them consistently even even when i was completely unsigned and completely unmanaged they were still booking me for stuff um the sapphire was crazy because that was my first ever time in america i went straight to texas um so the lead up was me stressing about like what does america look like and is my visa right because i didn't have a manager so i was trying to do that myself as well and and then um yeah, when I got there, I on the last night I got really, really drunk. What? Why? Why was I drunk? And where was I? I don't know where I. <laughs> but on the last night, South by Southwest. Did you join your mum and dad? I, I don't know. I think they they flew home from there. But what happened was me and my bass player Josh, we got I got really drunk and I had packs or something and I woke up in my bath with a shower cap on. Oh my god! For gosh. some reason, like in my drunken self, I thought like I should put the shower cap on. And it woke up in a bath, like, completely nude in, like, cold water. Kind of dangerous. That is dangerous. <laughs> really dangerous. Quite a shallow bath, but whatever. Like, <laughs> so weird. If anyone had found me, they would have been like, why was she wearing the shower cap? Um, <laughs> and then, I'm like, I remember just, I got, like, two hours sleep. And then we drunkenly got a flight to L.A. Like, I was drunk. I don't think Josh was. Um, and then that was my first time in L.A. And I think that was actually a breakthrough that was for me a breakthrough moment because when I arrived in LA another band had come from South by as well and I just stayed with them and like I did my first ever sessions in LA and it was as an artist and it was really really wild like a really really wild week I remember that week I met James Blake Jamila Jamil I then like saw a bunch of crazy like celebrities at the weekend and Lana Del Rey in this tiny bar and I remember being like is Hollywood like this all the time it's not (laughs) it's It's really not I just like had a lucky week um but I realized I think that's why I'm now in LA because honestly that first week was absolutely just like oh everybody does music here Mm -hmm. and it was wild and I absolutely loved it I mean LA is tough but I loved it LA is tough it's tough, but it also has these pockets of magic. I feel like um, everyone, you find your people, you find your community, and and then magic happens because you're not worried about anything else. You're not worried about who's writing, you know, in the sync world or this where you're just doing you. You're just finding your people. Yeah. You and Charlie McLean developed She Writes in 2017. At the time, you were both unsigned, unmanaged, completely independent and you brought together the first ever all-female international writing camp and you had it sponsored by PRS which for the listeners PRS is a performance rights organization and PROs are some of the biggest champions in the industry for songwriters so having a company like PRS sponsor an event is a huge deal can you tell us about the formation of she writes and how the first camp came about um and how it went yeah so uh, like I said, I got spotted at Eurosonic, ended up playing German shows. I got these two amazing German agents, um, Maria and Alina. Um, and they put me on at all these shows, but they also mentioned that one, I had a day off in Frankfurt or something or Berlin, Berlin. And they said, you know, do you want to do a writing session? Which is unusual for agents to do, to be honest, because that's not really their job. But they, mm-hmm. they said they knew this, um, production duo. And I, I honestly was, I had uh, laryngitis, so I wasn't really paying attention. And Charlie, I thought was a boy. I remember it maybe have been a girl, but something to do with she was someone's girlfriend. And I remember thinking, oh, maybe it was boyfriend. So I rocked up and I was like, oh, Charlie is a woman and she's a producer. 
She's like, you know, she has a vagina. I was like, oh, not what I was, I was expecting. <laughs> um, so we ended up doing this this session, and I went away thinking I'd done a terrible job. But Charlie sent me the the song like a month later or a few weeks later or something, and it was crazy. It was like, oh, I've been waiting for someone who could do this, and she turned my laryngitis song into something decent. And um, her and Felix ended up producing my whole EP. So I worked with them and went back to Berlin and they exec produced stuff, but it was Charlie who like did all the vocals and was there for me in some very, like 2016 was a pretty rough year for me. And she was there kind of doing all of that. And right at the end on the final day in Berlin, we wrapped the EP and she was like, wouldn't it be nice if it was just working with more girls? Because I, she hadn't produced for a girl before really like that. And I hadn't worked with a woman like this other than the odd songwriter but honestly not really even that I was usually the only person in the room who was a woman and I was like oh yeah that'd be nice and she said maybe we could just like get a house and go to France with some women and find and find other women that produce and I was like yeah that would be good and then come January I was at like peak anti-men point probably <laughs> this is not really where it should come from but I just had a ho- I just had a horrible breakup and also like bad management and just was very like I'd had some rough experiences. One manager once texted me after a show saying like, have you put on weight? And oh. I've had those comments now and again, just about realizing that my gender is being seen before my talent. Um, and that's frustrating. So come January, I remember I was just like really frustrated and I was sat in a cafe one day and I just, I remember I had a contact from South by Southwest for PRS cause they'd, they'd helped me with some stuff. And I just called Joe at PRS, who's now head of PRS at the time. He was just like one of the funding assistants. I said, Joe, I've got this idea for a writing camp with women. Can I have some money? <laughs> he, said, <laughs> um, he said, yeah, we've got a couple of funds. Uh, are you a company or is it just you? Like, is it, a, is it a team? And I was like, yes, yes, we are a company. And then I Googled make company and set up a company with Charlie uh, and she writes was born and they gave us 10,000 pounds. Wow. We told, we told people the camp was happening before it was actually happening. Like we didn't have a venue. We didn't have a list of people. I was just literally going around telling everybody that I was running this writing camp for women. And we finally got the funding and it just all happened in it was 60 women. Wow. It was too big. I also cried at the end of that. Charlie and I do a lot of crying at the end of camps. It's very <laughs> stressful. I'm sure. To come, you know, come 2017, we got a bunch of sponsors. We just hustled our asses off and we got a lot of people turn up to the listening party and people thought we were a professional team. And it was Charlie's first ever writing camp. She'd never even done a writing camp. She was organizing the first one she was ever on. I've never done a writing camp. Never done a writing camp. And I think like, I mean, you're such an inspiration to the music industry for, for women, what you're doing. It really is. It's become such a movement. And it's funny, like, how you were mov- motivated. We talk about, like, the breakdowns. Like, you just had enough and you were probably sick of, like, all that shit and not being taken seriously. And that's pro- this is the breakthrough. So it's it's funny without them moments, they're the kind of moments that drive you, even though sh- as shitty as they are. Actually, that, that 2017 was a complete reversal of 2016. 2016, although I had some cool stuff going on professionally, my personal life was what could be considered an utter shambles, just a giant, giant mess of like having to move home, having to leave London, like, not having my apartment anymore, the end of 
a very, very long relationship. Um, and it was just, it was just tough. Uh, so now having that horrific year, I got a lot of songs out of that songs that got me a publishing deal. Um, and yeah, I've realized now every time I have a really bad experience in anything, I think, Oh, I'm going to either get amazing songs from this, which will make me money, or (laughs) I'm going to, you know, be a better person. Like honestly, uh, those awful experiences like trauma gives you depth in your writing and I know that's a horrible thing to say and it's not what you need but for me it was the only way I can approach really bad situations with a positive attitude because otherwise I wouldn't have have had these breakthroughs no. I just wouldn't I'm a, I'm a better writer because of it actually and, a, and I know who I am as an artist 2017 crystallized exactly who I was and it she writes has almost everything to do with that it's re- it was really like a clarifying year Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I just think also what you said about the year, you know, 2016 or 2017, I feel like so many people don't realize what a little bit of time can do to change your whole life. You know, like, I think almost everybody's had the experience where they went for something hard, and it just didn't happen. And they had to go back to base. And I mean, I've had to, I've had to move back to my parents house twice in my life to start over, you know, and it's, uh, and there were times when I was like, it's not going to ever get any better, but it does. So for anybody listening who's, you know, going for a big dream, you just have to give yourself time to get back on your feet. And it could be as fast as a month or a year or whatever it may be. But just give yourself the space because miraculous things can happen in a very small amounts of time. Totally agree with that. One thousand percent. And honestly, like 2017, September 2017, October 2017 when all of that good stuff happened um I've got a song called I'll buy a house which is about buying a house with the from the money you made from the songs you've written about someone um but yeah the concept is I'll buy a house with the songs that you gave me and right at the end of the song there's a line um took a year to the day but I'm doing fine um that's the time that it takes to say goodbye and Mm. you know it was a it was a moment in the writing room where it had been quite some time since 2000, the, you know, the, the year, the dreaded year of 2016, also Brexit and Trump. It was just a terrible year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I realized that it really was a whole year between all those things happening. And I actually went back in my calendar and looked at some dates. And some of the dates were like literally 365 days until the, the, till the, the thing like reversed itself. It was very strange. And um, as a result now, you know, I know that the good good things are always on the horizon. You kind of just like close your eyes and go, okay, suck it up. <sighs> Fucking awful, like moving on. And then, you know, take time to, to heal and stuff. I definitely did a lot of um, running around in 2017 being very, very stupid. <laughs> uh, dangerously stupid. Like, I'm be like 4 a.m. waiting outside a tube station thinking this is a bad idea. <laughs> Um, but yeah it just like really it really helped and um I joke to some people there's some friends of mine there's a writer called Greta Isaac who I love and she works a lot on my creative stuff when we shot a video and she helped me with it recently and um she was just saying how how long it's since we saw each other and we she said it was so weird like when she first met me probably like 2015 uh, I was just a different person and honestly like I had a bit, I did, I, I did have a bit of a stick up my ass because it, because like, <laughs> stuff wasn't happening for me. 
2016 firmly removed that stick, uh, which has since gone. And now I feel just like a much better artist and more relaxed in general. It's a, it's a, yeah, take, take the bad ones and turn them into songs. That's the way it works for me. Well, I mean, you've gone from strength to strength. UMA Music Group nominated you for Best Songwriter and Best Female Solo Act in 2018. That same year you were granted PRS Writer Fund, Writer Producer Fund. These are all like amazing milestones and moments of recognition. What did it feel like to be acknowledged on such a new level? Oh, I was really shocked by that nomination. I, forgot, I actually forgot about that. Thank you. Um, and, <laughs> oh, cool. um, and, I, and I was yeah nominated in two categories. That was really weird. And I also got, this year was wild as well because I got nominated for my first ever international award, which is a Swedish thing called Denise Pop um, for International Breakthrough Artist because I've just done, I've done a lot of work in Sweden with lots of Swedish artists as well. Um, and uh, awards are really nice. I quite just like the nominations. Winning is quite a lot of pressure because it makes you feel like you have to do something after that. <laughs> but, um, you know, even though I do enjoy winning, like it is a lot of pressure, but it's nice to be acknowledged sometimes because um, it, because you you do put a lot of hours in, you know, sometimes for what feels like nothing. So, yeah, it, it's really lovely. I mean, I've I've known you a long time now, and it amazes me how you're so amazed by these things still. Like you're like, oh, you're like really shocked by it. I'm like, it's because you're incredible. <laughs> like sometimes I want to beat you around the head. Like, because I'm like, you are so amazing. I wake up singing your songs. You really are so talented. Yeah, I think you have, you. it's something in your wiring where, and I don't know where it comes from. And it's so funny as your friend, I can see how amazing you are. But sometimes you you can't see it yourself. And it's so, it's really sweet. But also I'm like. I mean, it, it, you know, some of some of it is probably like British humility, me trying to be like, I am humble or whatever. <laughs> and a, a lot of it is like, honestly, I, there's a, this is like a stupid story, but um, there's a video of me age 10 at a pot, my birthday party making pottery. And um, I didn't make the pot I wanted to make. There's another girl called Hannah Reese, and Hannah Reese made a great pot. And I was like, that's what I want to make. <laughs> I made a very average bowl. Um, and then in the middle of the party in front of everybody and the pottery instructor, I just squashed my pot. (laughs) (laughs) This is rubbish. And like it, watching it is a little bit disturbing because I'm so calm (laughs) and start over again. And everyone's like, no, and that's how I really feel about almost everything I do. I'm like, if it's not what I needed, what I envisioned it to be like squash the pot and start again. My parents now tell me like, don't squash squash the pot because they've watched me like press eject on so many things where I'm like no here we go like I've deleted entire songs just like never sing them again because I'm like that but it's just a perfectionist in me but also if it is a great song if you don't feel like it's great then when you sing it on stage you're going to be self-conscious of it and then the audience is not going to like it because you're self-conscious so they're going to feel the weirdness so you know what press eject on whatever you want to because the songs I've heard of yours are excellent and uh, I really love your voice I think you're amazing speaking of your songs in 2018 your song cry for me was so successful it was on the Welsh a-list on BBC CYMRU in Wales and for the listener currently cry for me has reached over half a million streams and in 
early 2019, you put another single out, which is is she going? Is she going to be there? Which got a ton of playlist love on Spotify. It made several New Music Friday playlists around the world. It hit over a hundred thousand streams in its first week, and you were included in BBC Music Introducing. At this point, it has over a million streams. As your singles become more and more successful, has it changed the way you feel about releases? And do you feel pressure to keep performing on the same level? Um. Cry For Me, I think, is my most least streamed song now. I think lots of my other songs have overtaken it. So every time I put something out, they do a little bit better. Is She Gonna Be There has done better than all of them. I I don't know what what it's on now, but the acoustic version did well as well, just because I think conceptually it's a great song. Shout out Harley Moon Kemp, who came up with that concept with me in a car in in the middle of London one day. Um, She wrote that song with me. Um. Yeah, I mean, honestly, now, like, I'm writing an album, which is a lifelong dream of mine to put an album out and try and finish it, you know, is is a task in itself. And honestly, the more songs I put out, the less pressure I feel. Because putting, I put some songs out and then took them down again, the songs from 2014, because even though they got me into great places, they didn't represent me fully as an artist and actually where I am now. I write every day as myself and it's such a liberating experience. I'm not trying to be something I'm not. So honestly, it's just such a cathartic process putting songs out that people respond to and people sing and cover and listen to. Um, And I try really hard not to look at them. I was so obsessed with numbers when I first started putting songs out in 2018, 2019. This year has been very different. Like I put my EP out and just like did the promo, do what you need to do, but don't look at the numbers. Like, it's usually my boyfriend checks my Spotify numbers. He's so sweet. And he'll be like, this song's hit a million. I'll be like, oh, cool. I'll, I'll post that one now. Um, and my manager's great with that stuff as well. But for me, it's like, it's all incremental. And, you know, I just feel so much less pressure now. I put songs out like these these lonely duets that I'm doing. And I'm like, great, you know, we'll get a radio plugger. We'll release this one in China. We'll do this. And just have, I'm having so much more fun being creative than I ever was and it's such a good feeling honestly mm. such a good feeling like you there's not because when you've got nothing out there's just pressure for everything to be perfect but now I'm just like let me put stuff out I love and you know I'll squash the pot after I'm done with it <laughs> I love that um talking about like you know artists in 2019 you supported a lot of artists like for pretty big shows what was it like getting to finally play in front of a large crowds outside of like a festival? Well, yes, yeah, so I put stuff out like end of 2018. And then in April, I supported Leon at her headline London show. It was like, I think 2000 people, one and a half thousand people. And I'd written for Leon on a She Writes camp. So I'd written a single for her, which had done really well. Um, and I just texted her one afternoon, seeing that she was doing European shows and was like, hey, do you have a support act? I hate doing it. My manager had told me to do it. And I took like, I literally composed the text and saved it in my drafts for like two weeks. <laughs> but she was like, yeah, of course. And I was like, oh, sweet. I should have done that before. Um, and the first time I ever sang those songs on stage, like I w- I'll Buy a House wasn't out yet, but um, I sang it on stage and people sang the words. And the, the song that was the first time I ever sang the song. I was like, oh, this is so good. Because I had been away from the live scene for a while, focusing on writing for other people. And it had done me well. But it was, I forgot, like, this is the thing I miss the most right now, is singing 
songs and getting a response because my shows are quite interactive I sing piano ballads but I want people to be engaged mm-hmm. um and I like chatting to people on stage I like making fun of people in the front row I like <laughs> I enjoy it it's fun it's I, I want people to feel engaged at the show so that was wild and then I went I basically I just support people I've written for and I'm so lucky like Billy Lockett written for him we did we did shows and then Orla Gartland is just is a friend of mine and we've like she's actually done some she writes stuff as well so we ended up doing a tour together last year scary pool party didn't happen in the end actually because of coronavirus it was weird I had a show planned with him and it got cancelled because he couldn't make it into the UK and then coronavirus happened but I had a I actually had a whole UK and Ireland tour with him this summer that didn't happen Um, I never even announced it but uh yeah so we'll we'll see um hopefully they get rescheduled I really hope so when live shows happen I will just be literally all over it. I can't, I can't. And chomping at, chomping at, champing at the bit. Chomping at the bit. <laughs> <laughs> On top of being a really amazing artist and having all these milestone moments within your own music career, you're also an insanely accomplished songwriter. You've written for Mabel, Tiesto, Leon, Lewis Watson, Justin Caruso, just to name a few. Your song Tiesto had a May uh, and twenty. <laughs> Your song with Tiesto had a billboard in Times Square, which is insane. Um, You've worked with Phineas, Diana Ross, Liam Payne, and so many other incredible producers, artists, and writers. As these huge sessions and cuts came into your life, has the excitement changed over time, or do you get as excited as the first time you had a big moment? Ooh, I probably don't get as excited anymore. I'm probably, like, too hard on myself to any I know her answer! (laughs) I am probably too hard on myself and stuff like that because I'm always like I it's so funny because I literally just had a call with my publishing team just before this and we were just like doing a year roundup and I'm just there like I know I, I'm I'm working on working with bigger people I promise and they're like shut up <laughs> because because it's not I'm I'm not I'm not like even in by LA standards I'm not in the rooms with massive people every day I'm not the hu- most hugely successful writer ever um compared to some like the people I look up to you know the Julia Michaels and the Emily Warrens and you know the Nisias and and the Victoria Monets like those people have insane cuts insane numbers billions and billions so uh, I guess I just have to sometimes just take a step and be like, oh yeah, I'm still I'm still doing it. And honestly, like the Mabel and Tiesto song was a massive surprise, and um, that song I am I'm, I am proud of just because I wrote the whole top line myself and worked with an amazing producer called Josh. So I, I am I am really proud of that. And was I was mostly excited when it was on radio. Do you know I've still never heard it. I've never heard it in the wild except once on TV. And it came on TV literally just like three weeks ago on a little mixed TV show. It's the first time I've ever heard it. But I know it was on radio because people kept texting me. So that's that was a really cool moment. And seeing her perform it in like arenas and, the the, you know, seeing it chart because that was my first ever charting song as a writer. So, yeah, if it if it's like that, I get excited. But usually I'm just like waiting for the song to come out and hoping that people like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing. I know like if you take away anything from today because this is the whole reason why we did this podcast is to know that you are a badass woman and like you're insanely talented you're amazing and and yeah we all know who julia michaels is like i'm sure the you know she was a writer and then she became an artist but it's so funny to me because you are like 
I feel like these people come up in classes. Do you know what I mean? It's like the class of 2019 or what the, you're just, you're just a few years below them. Like, you know, look what you've created with She Writes. That's just a huge movement. And all these like, I mean, insane people that you're working with. It's so funny. Like, you're going to inspire so many people. And you already do. You know, yeah, no, you do. So you really do. Because I got to be honest, like, and I'm going to regret saying this, but whatever. Um, I when Twinny said that you were going to come on the show, I geeked out a little bit because I've been seriously fangirled. I did. It's it's embarrassing, but whatever. I really admire your work and what you've done with She Writes. And it actually was the first time in the industry that I was excited to work towards something again because I had gotten so jaded with the industry. And I was like, okay, this is my next goal because I had run out of goals because <laughs> I had I had been hitting other goals. And I was like, what am I, what's going to motivate me? And She Writes motivates me. So. She Writes motivates, She Writes motivates me. Yeah, and I think this is actually something I would say to other people. Like uh, Charlie, Charlie is like the other half of my brain, and um, if I was going to marry a woman, it would be her. Like she really is the other person that has made this entirely possible, and she is a producer, so she's a bit more behind the scenes. And I don't think she gets the love that she deserves because this, in essentially, was her idea. I'm just very pushy. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just pushed her over the line on it. And now I bet she wishes I would stop texting her about stuff. But we, you know, we have this, we have this team and we've worked towards something and we've built like a little online community and people reach out to us wanting to come onto our camps, which is, which is crazy. We have so many applications. We listen to everything. It takes us a long time, but we do listen to everything and, and get back to those people who we can, we can help. Um, but uh, we recently did a, a writing camp for um, K-pop, a K-pop writing camp. So it was like 10 different time zones or something stupid. And, um, you know, with Korean writers, we wanted to be in Korea this year, but we couldn't. So we did a Korean writing camp and I got a lot of texts afterwards about people enjoying the sessions. And honestly, like I just love working with other women and she writes, keeps me going because it feels like there's a this is so super cheesy but it does feel like there's a higher purpose to what we're doing and you know we don't get paid for the camps um you know even even the private ones we run our payment is we get to work with great people mm. and um you know it is it is so inspiring to work with lots of these women who are giving up so much of their time to invest in a cause which is you know making sure that women have more cuts and making sure that more female producers are involved on big projects and that is that is inspiring to me and she she writes in 2017 really like reinvigorated both of us and as a result we both got signed and both got published almost honestly directly as a result of those camps and you know i like i how do i say it's it's it, it gives it gives you a, it gives you a, a purpose other than just making music for making music's sake or just being like i'm an artist it's all about me like i've met like uh, Molly Hammer, who's done this duet for Lonely. I met her on a She Writes writing camp and Paige, who's doing another duet with Lonely. Um, I met her because she had heard about She Writes out in New Zealand through somebody else and then reached out to me and we became internet friends through that. So She Writes is so responsible for so much of my life. Um, And you can, if you're tired of knocking on doors, you should just build a door. If you're 
tired of like waiting for a seat at a table, you should just build your own table. And that's what we really feel about She Writes. Like yeah. it is my, it is my very, very pink table <laughs> that I'm sat at. I love that. I love it. I mean, you, you mentioned you both got signed. I mean, you signed last year, you signed your first ever publishing deal with Cobalt. What did that moment feel like for you? Were you were you actually actually actively looking for a publisher at the time? And most importantly, please tell me you celebrated it. I did. I um, in another drunken story, it, it ended in <laughs> me like upside down in the back of my boyfriend's car with him being like, "Please get out of the car," and I was like, <laughs> "I'm a star." <laughs> I was so drunk. So drunk. I went out with him and my manager and we just got really drunk in like a Korean noodle shop. Um but yeah, I I wasn't signed and I was looking for publishing in like 2017 when I had worked out what publishing was. Um but it was my manager Matt that just started like the ball rolling. And Emily, my publisher from Cobol, Emily Vines, she had reached out because she heard about She Writes. She was like, Oh, I'm so interested in this camp thing that you're doing, and then she really loved Cry for Me and a bunch of other songs. And I took two years to sign to Cobalt because I really did meet with everybody to make sure I was making the right decision because she was the first person that really connected with me and was like, I've been, I've been entertained by Sony Germany because I've been out there with German people again doing stuff. And I've got some major label cuts from that. Um, but this was my, my, my process for signing really was, you know, three years from, from when I started writing for the people in 2017 to, to 2009, yeah, two and a half years. So um, it did take time. It really did take time. And you have to be sure about those things. And I also realized with She Writes, I was A&Ring my own camp. So why did I need to sign a publishing deal? Mm. It really was that. I was going to meetings with people and they were like, we can put you in with um, like Emily Warren. And I was like, oh, well, I, I just put Emily on a camp actually. And I wrote with her. Or, you know, we can put you in with these people. And I was like, oh, yeah, I spoke to them last week. They're doing She Writes camp. So, you know, we started reaching that point where I was like, oh, if you're going to be on my team, you have to be able to help me in a way that I can't help myself. Yeah. And Cobalt with a partner for that. They also offer, I mean, this is me like advertising them, but they offer insanely artist-friendly deals. You know, short terms, good money, not crazy deals. You know, that they don't they don't try and sign you for 10 years. I was being offered deals for one of the, you know, it's like 25 years. I was like, no. You may as well have my firstborn child at this point. Like, let me let me give you my whatever comes out of my uterus it probably is worth about the same like <laughs> you know my songs my songs are like my children and they're also like my my catalog my legacy so yeah. you have to be sure that whatever you're giving away is to someone that's who's really nice i love it. sorry may as well have my firstborn child well if your firstborn child's a dick you might want to give it away yeah if my firstborn child doesn't make me a number one then i'll give it back <laughs> It really is amazing to find a publisher that feels like the right fit, especially because when you yearn for something for so long, it's really easy to just try to make a puzzle piece fit because you just want to be able to say that you have it, you know? And so kudos on you for waiting for the right team because it's hard to get out of some of those deals once you sign the wrong one. And so I'm just glad you got the team you deserved. You're so right. I used to, I forget that I had that mindset of, I need a label. I mm-hmm. need a manager. I need a publisher. I need a, I need a publicist. You, you don't. <laughs> the internet exists now. Like you should get a publicist if you're, you know, really big. But right now, like 
you don't need all those things. I, I've had label offers. I even got, you know, label offers this year in the middle of a pandemic, but um, I've not signed them because they're not right for me. Like I, I really took my time with a pub deal because when I suddenly did have a couple of offers on the table, serious offers, I was able to make a decision and choose. And she writes had empowered me to know I can do it by myself with a great manager. My manager, Matt Johnson at Red Light is amazing and has been the person who supports every endeavor I do. Like he works with us closely on She Writes. He's like a silent partner now. Um, but yeah, you, you, I forgot that I used to be like that, that you have people like starting out in the industry are just ticking boxes, but it doesn't mean anything. Songs are the only thing that mean anything, literally the only thing. So if you, if you can keep that in mind, and you can write songs by yourself. You can literally write songs by yourself. You don't need teams for that. Um, and songs songs change everything. They change lives overnight. It all comes down to that, I think. It just all comes down to that. I think like that's what people forget. And what you were saying earlier, like your life has completely changed from 2016 to 2017. And that's like everybody's just waiting on that one song that changes the life. That's it. And all this kind of like noise of like, TikTok and Instagram and content and it's just it, I find it a bit too much sometimes but really the what it comes down to is the song what was the song that changed your life uh as a, I'm still waiting on it <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting on it personally no I mean like my journey's been you know I've been in entertainment industry for since I've been four and I was quite late to music um so the last like four years going back and forth to Nashville like I mean I I wanted to put out an album and I did that unfortunately we had to do it in a pandemic it came out in April but I don't know like I, I'm really passionate about all the songs I put out I feel like they are my babies I don't know if you even think about this song much but do you remember cool yeah 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 I downloaded that from iTunes and I played it non-stop when it came out because like Although we knew each other then, I just had seen you posting about it on socials. And maybe it's because we'd met in London with Nathan James. Oh, yeah, I remember that day. We were doing this thing, yeah, and you were doing this thing and you had the song. And I thought that was so well written, that song. That chorus is disgustingly catchy. Thank you. <laughs> we might put it out next year. We might put it out. Please, 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 because you took it down. I know. Well, the, la- the label took it down. They took all my old EP stuff and, you know, like, you know what label's like. We're just going through it at the minute. I'm currently meant to be going over to America and w- waiting on this EP, so they're reluctant to put... I just want to put music out constantly. But it's so funny you should mention. I remember that day so well. Cool is I- so country, and that's when I first knew you as a country artist and I was like oh this makes sense yeah it's funny that I like I never really thought about the whole genre thing until people started mentioning it to me I still don't to be honest I only believe in two types of music good or bad but what I love about you and you're so inspiring to me because you just have gone out there and and got it and like kept on going and I think that's such a great message for our listeners that as bad as things get like you just never know where you're gonna be in six months times just you only fail if you give up and like when I think back to when I didn't have a manager I didn't have a publisher I didn't know what the bloody hell I was doing like all them things that you hustle for like you know like emailing blogs and you know I remember that day that we met and I was like oh I've done my video and I did like a photo shoot in LA and I paid out so much money you just don't know what you're doing but that gets you 
to the next place and the next place and you just keep on building and you learn as you go and I think where she writes what I love about it so much is I feel like it's a community for women that you know because like I, I do think we get treated differently in the music industry like I've had men talk to me just so appallingly that they would never speak to a to a man and I love what she writes has done in that way from an emotional standpoint of like hey girls you know we've got this together we're all here from for each other there's enough room for everyone and I just I love what that's about yeah and that it's it's not a man-hating platform at all no. like we're supported by amazing men constantly constantly um it's about allowing, it's, you know, it's a foot in the door for, for lots of women who are often excluded. Like labels don't think when they put together writing camps for big artists, they forget. They, they literally just book uh, 75% plus men on a camp. It's often you just like me and one other girl and then the rest of men. So it's about like creating an awareness for people. Like we've actually had labels come to us now and be like, hey, can you suggest some writers for this? And I'm like, we can run you a writing camp if you want me to A&R your artist. Sure, fine. But like, <laughs> I, you know, we, we are happy to help labels and, and, and artist managers like think about the diversity of their writing rooms and think about how many women they've employed. Did you ask a woman to mix this? Did you mm. know they exist? You know, do, do female engineers exist in your world? Or, you know, you know, there are lots of artists out there. You look at some of the top albums there. 100% men and I go through the credits with a fine-tuned poem but yeah she writes is a community and as a result like lots of the she writes women producing on my album co-writing on my album or just like do me favors all the time and I actively know I have like a team of women that I've worked with that I can call on um all the time constantly and everybody's hungry for it and everybody wants it and it's super exciting so so exciting I think my album's got Aside from the stuff I produce myself, like three or four of the songs are produced by three different women, different women. Wow, amazing. It's a really exciting prospect for me. And it's everything I do is mixed by a woman, Manon Grandji. She's going to be the biggest mixer in the world. In three years' time, she's going to be like Grammy, multiple award winning mixer for sure. But um, yeah, I just love women. I love women a lot. So yeah. And you're changing the narrative for women as well because I feel like there is this um imbalance within the female community of because there were so few spaces for us in the industry, we weren't always the kindest to each other in history, you know. And I think when you're fighting to get into rooms, you don't always think, Let me give you my hand and pull you up and and celebrate you too because there's room for all of us. You know, and what you're doing is creating room. You're creating space for people and you're creating a community where women are safe to support women and they don't have to feel like they're in the Hunger Games, you know. People forget like the impact they have on new writers with the things that they say will s literally stick with you. Oh, yeah. It's why I like working with younger female writers and like, you know, the, the 16, 17, 18 year olds and the artists. Literally, if I get in a session with them, I will chat for like a good hour about stuff they need to ignore yeah just like someone's gonna say this you should ignore it you should ignore this you don't need to sign this you don't need to sign this if anyone tells you you need to say in a session they're lying if you feel uncomfortable you should just leave the session yeah. just like the basic stuff like what I wish I'd been told and I, I have thought about doing like a little video on this like things I wish I'd known when I was 18 you should definitely do that babe you should definitely do that on Instagram that should be a thing we always like to end the podcast with two questions but let me just say this like thank you so much for your time 
I love you to death. I love what you stand for. You're doing amazing things. Like really believe that and take it all in. Um, we thoroughly enjoyed having you on here. You've been a brilliant guest. So inspiring. Um, yeah. So thank you for your time. It's been lovely, lovely to chat with both of you. I love talking about myself. <laughs> Well, speaking of talking about you, I just want to celebrate you one more time before we ask our final questions, because you've built an amazing career for yourself and you've done the majority of the journey as a fully independent writer and artist. Um, Five of your singles as an artist have broken a million streams and a few more have broken two million. You're not just an artist and a writer, you're also a badass businesswoman. And I just want to say a huge congratulations, because those are not small feats. Oh, yay. Can you write my next CV in press, please? Uh, she's really good at that, by the way. Girl, call me up. I love a good bio. <laughs> my final question for you is if you could relive, not change, just re-experience one of your breakthrough moments, which one would you choose? Mm. There's a gig I think about a lot, which is a, a show I did in China. I forgot I did some Chinese shows in 2017 as well. Six, yeah, 17. Um, I got flown out for some showcases out there. And there was a show I did where um, I'd eaten too much from the be- breakfast buffet that morning. I was very sick. But, so I sat backstage and I didn't check the crowd before I went out. It was the Chinese festival in Shanghai. And when I got out on stage, it was like two, 3,000 people there. And I was like, I am on the smallest stage. This is wild nobody knows who I am and I had one of the best gigs of my entire life because I was only thinking about singing I wasn't thinking about anything else I remember like jumping off the stage I climbed on the speakers and then loads of people came to see me afterwards and I found out that someone had illegally uploaded my music in China (laughs) and it was on all it was on all of these other streaming websites I didn't know about and so they did know who I was and it was a such a wild moment because Lots of these people didn't speak English um, and I don't think they maybe truly understood the lyrics, but I felt an, such an insane connection on that show and it was such a surprise and a really overwhelming moment actually. And I think about that gig a lot because I miss that feeling from a crowd. And every time I think about songs, I'm like, okay, they have to engage with people and they have to make people feel something even if they don't understand the lyrics. So... I would go back and live that. Also, China was really fun. Just really fun. That's amazing. I've never been there, but I'm excited to go when all this stuff is over. We can we, we can actually travel. I know. Um, so the final question, what do you want your next breakthrough moment to be? I'd like to be on just a slightly bigger platform. I'd love to do like live TV with my original music. Um done a bit of live tv before and it wasn't quite how i wanted it to be (laughs) so you know perform something i've written on tv would be amazing um will be and if not that a much bigger stage at glastonbury yes please yeah i mean i don't think you know all of them things are very far away to be honest babe definitely not they're all on the horizon thank you for having me this has been like I feel I'm glowing from ear to ear I feel so good about myself thank you I'm so glad I'm so glad that's why we do it that's what we wanted to stay up to date with all things Violet Skies follow her on Instagram at I am Violet Skies I-A-M-V-I-O-L-E-T-S-K-I-E-S 
And as always, you can find us on Breaking Through underscore the podcast on Instagram and Breaking Through Podcast on TikTok. We've loved having you. We hope you leave us today feeling a bit more hopeful and a bit more ready to celebrate yourself. Hope you'll tune in next week for another episode. 